Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And turn with me to the Old Testament book of Nahum. The Old Testament book of Nahum and Nahum chapter number 1. Of course, Nahum's found in the Minor Prophets section, so it's right before the book of Habakkuk, if that helps. We're thankful to be going through this series, and not too far left in this series, as we're over the halfway point and on the downhill slide, hitting some of these great, wonderful books of the Bible. Most people don't have a working knowledge of the Minor Prophets, which is sad, because the Minor Prophets, they may be minor in size, but they're major in message. And as we see today, the book of Nahum is one that very much impacts and shows history and the mind of of God and of what God is doing and shows that there's light because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of who God is, even in the darkest times. And so with that, notice with me the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum and chapter number one. Nahum and chapter number one. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse one. Nahum chapter one and verse one. The burden of Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkanite. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth, and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power. And will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath made his way in the whirlwinds and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry. Drieth up all the rivers. Bathshan languisheth. And Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him. And the hills melt. And the earth is burned at his presence, yea, the world and all that, that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is pure, poured out like a fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And the darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble, fully dry. There is one that cometh out of thee, that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus 
they shall be cut down. And when he shall pass through, though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now I will break his yoke from off thee, and I and will burst thy bonds in sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image, and I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Nahum? The book of Nahum in chapter number one, and notice the phrase that we find in the book of Nahum chapter one and verse number seven. Nahum chapter one and verse seven. He knoweth them that trust in him. What a comforting thought. He knoweth them that trust in him. And with the Lord's help, I'm going to put the antecedent back for that pronoun. The Lord knoweth them that trust in him. The Lord knoweth them that trust in him. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. Now as we open up the Bible and see the annals of history, that we can see truly it is your story and that you put things together. You have given these things so we can know that you are God and that there is none else. Lord, I'm asking that you would help this to be amazing. This would be just wonderful as we see fulfilled scripture, fulfilled prophecy, and see that you're a wonderful God and see that you're the God of hope, that you're the God who's able to shine light in the deepest darkness. Lord, help even now as we go through here that we could all be amazed by you. And the Lord's name we definitely pray. Thank you, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Do your own work. Amen. Amen. Now as we're going through here, we could see that this book is clearly addressed to the city of Nineveh. Now remember that Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is someone that we've heard quite a bit as we've gone through the Minor Prophets. And by the way, when we go at the end of the year and start going through the lineage of Jesus Christ, we're going to see the Assyrians quite a bit. So by this time, you're going to be very familiar with the Assyrians. The Assyrians are a world empire that is so vital to understand the biblical Old Testament and the times that they live in. This is a world empire that had world dominance for about 700 years. Could you imagine an evil empire that stood for 700 years? Sure, it waned and flowed in its power and its influence, but now it's definitely a juggernaut. It's a military juggernaut with some of the most evil people that you could ever imagine. The things that they did to people, the things that they did to torture, the things that they did to, to sow revenge they were evil in their doings. 
Now, God had already given Nineveh a chance to repent. 100 years before this point, God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh to preach a message and to watch as God would send revival, send a place of salvation where all of the city of Nineveh had turned towards God. But that was just for a moment. A hundred years are past and the Assyrians have long past uh, given up and turned away from that moment of repenting. As a little side note, it does teach us how important it is to have discipleship. That here salvation changed the city for a moment. But they did not continue to follow after God. There was a lack of teaching. It never was followed through again. God wasn't primarily dealing with the world empires and the Gentiles of the stage. He was primarily dealing with the people of Israel. But we do see a very important correlation. That God had sent a major revival where the major capital city had turned and repented towards God. And God had spared this world empire. But now they are back to their evil ways and even worse than they were before. Now God is done. Judgment is going to fall upon Nineveh and there is no hope. There is no repentance offered. There is nothing. It is destruction period right into the bank. Now the book of Nahum is given 50 years before the events begin to overflow. So again, this is in a correlating history. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled in 50 years time uh, to start the, the um, fulfillment. The final fulfillment is going to actually occur 200 more years. The Assyrian Empire right now is about the 500 years in. And another 200 years approximately, they are going to be finally destroyed as the book of Nahum uh, will cover. And we'll cover more about that on Wednesday night. But here, God starts to give some prophecies that are going to be fulfilled in 50 years time. And one of the most major important events of all history is going to be recorded. Now, for your reference... The historical content of it being fulfilled is going to be found in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18 verses 28 through 37. We're going to start referring to that passage as we start going through the prophecy. So you might want to get ready to have it on hand. That's 2 Kings chapter 18 verses 28 through 37. Again, that's important because if you're going to study through Nahum, it's going to be important that you know where it was fulfilled at. In history, 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 28 through 37. While we're here in Nahum now, let's go ahead and start examining this passage. The first thing I'd like to show you is the Lord's patience. The Lord's patience. Verse number one, the burden of Nineveh. And then, of course, we know that this is a vision from Nahum. It gives the author and it gives us the city. Now, <laughs> Amazingly, this is the second time Nineveh has been the subject of a book. It was of Jonah, and then once again a hundred years later in the book of Nahum. This is uh, an empire that has not gone away. This is an empire that the people still have to deal with. And God addresses them twice. First, to offer them repentance. Second, to give them destruction. Again, Jonah would have done anything to be able to preach this message where you're done, you're cooked, you're over with. Notice as it goes on in verse number two. God 
is jealous. And the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth. Notice it uses that line twice. Now, what is he jealous over? He's jealous over his people. And here is the Assyrian Empire, the Nazis of the ancient world, who are threatening God's people. And the historical event, Samaria has not fallen, but it is very, very close. Samaria falls in 722 BC. The events of 2 Kings chapter 18 happens about 711 BC. So Nahum falls probably about 760 BC, just as a little uh, timeline. And so it's giving this event, it's preparing. And at this time, the Assyrian Empire has continually harassed both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So much so that there have been coalitions that have been joined together and have fallen apart by the Judean leaders. The Sumerian leaders have all kind of just lost it all and they're just barely holding on and barely keeping kings. While the southern kingdom has been trying to gather up coalitions to fight, to stand against the Assyrian Empire. And each time those coalitions failed. Each time the Assyrians blow past them. Can you imagine ga gaining all the nations of the known world to fight against one foe and losing time and time again? And God is saying, I'm jealous over my people. Stop touching my people. I'm done with you now because you continue to harass my people. Notice it goes on. <laughs> it talks about the Lord revengeth. Notice this. The Lord is furious. If you notice all of the emotions that is attributed to God in this chapter. You're going to see furious, anger, indignation. God is upset. Sometimes we forget that God is an emotional being. We see him more of a static, stoic God. God is angry. He is upset. He is not happy at all. And he is very angry towards these evil people of Assyria. Notice, the Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. Notice, God considers the Assyrians his enemies. That's a bad camp to be put into when you're considered the enemy of God. And he, God, reserveth wrath for his enemies. He's saying it's going to happen. Judgment is going to fall. There is nothing you can do about it. There is, it's outside of your power. Judgment will fall. Notice verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. By the way, that was the same exact statement that Jonah made in Jonah chapter 4. He says, I know you are slow to anger. I know that you are a God who gives us chance after chance after chance. The Lord is slow in anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. What that means is that he doesn't give free passes for the wages of sin is death. There is no excuse. There is no other way. Something must die because of the actions. And God says, I'm not giving you a free pass. I'm not wiping the slate clean. You are guilty. And there's nothing you can do to change that fact. I will not acquit you. I am a righteous God. I must punish sin. 
And the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind. And in this uh, verse number three, and the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. What we see here is that God is a God of patience, but his patience has a limit. His patience can be stretched. His patience can get to the place where he says, I'm done. I've given you chance after chance after chance after chance. And you put it off. And you put it off. And you put it off. I'm done. I'm done. Could you imagine getting the place where God says, I'm done? I've given you chance and opportunity. And you refuse to do anything about it. With this, we also see the Lord's power. The Lord's power. At the end of verse 3, it talks about that his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt. The earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell in. What we see here is that all of nature obeys God's commands. That God is truly God of earth. Now what this is is establishing. It's one thing to make somebody mad. It's another thing to make someone mad who could do something about it. God can do something about it. He is the God of all the universe. He controls all of nature. By the way, in the final judgment to Nineveh. I'll wait till Wednesday and tell you what he does. Notice as it goes on. It says, not only the Lord's power, but then we see the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence. He is a holy God. Notice in verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like a fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good and a stronghold in the day of trouble. What a comforting voice, verse. Think about this. At this time, the Assyrian Empire has surrounded the northern kingdom. They have surrounded the southern kingdom. Every coalition has been tried and failed. Nothing could touch the Assyrians. Can you imagine how hopeless that is when you find out the Assyrians are marching towards your city? When they're coming with a determination, we're going to destroy you? What can you do about this? What can you do against such an army, against such darkness, against such hopelessness? The answer is the Lord. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. A stronghold is like a castle, a fortress. It's somewhere you could run to when the world is against you. It's somewhere you could run in the darkest times of your life you could run towards God and you could get safety in him he is the rock of ages he is that cleft in the midst of the storm he is the place you could run to to get security where you could get safety in the day of trouble again this is a message he said I'm going to do something with the Assyrians before I tell you what I do let me tell you you could run to God what is your hope? Running to God. What hope can you have? Run to God. And he, the Lord, knoweth them that trust in him. God knows every heart. 
And he knows who trusts in him. And he knows who gives lip service. He knows those who go through the motions. He knows those who are truly trusting in God. And the ones who are not. Now that's a comfort because he knows that we trust in him. We can run to him and it is a real thing. Notice in verse 8. But with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof. And darkness shall pursue his enemies. For those (laughs) he makes an offer to. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you safety. For those who say, nope, I'm going to do it my way. I don't need you. God says, fine, I gave you a chance. Destruction is what you have. That's what you have to look forward to. I made a way of escape. But you chose destruction instead. And destruction is what you're going to get. Now as we come to here, there are three specific prophecies given in Nahum dealing with the Assyrian people. One of them deals with the sudden destruction of Sennacherib's army. Sennacherib happens to be the leader of the Assyrian empire. He's the king. The Assyrians, by the way, had some of the most awesome names in history. You had Tiglath-Pileser III, two kings before that. Then you had Sargon II, Sargon the Great. And then after this, you have Sennacherib. You have all kinds of cool Assyrian names. That's neither here nor there. That's the, that's the historian in me. I like him. Sennacherib happens to be the king. His name is mentioned in the scripture. I'm saying that so that way when you see him, you go, okay, I know who he is. He is the king. And so the first prophecy deals with the sudden destruction of Sennacherib's army. The second prediction in Nahum deals with the idea of death, the death of Sargon or uh, Sennacherib within his own false temple. The Bible predicts that 50 years before it happens. Then the third prophecy is the actual destruction of Nineveh. Maybe I give you a hint of what we'll hit on Wednesday. Verse number eight. But with an overrunning flood, Will he make an utter end of the place thereof, and the darkness shall pursue his enemies. Notice with me in chapter 2 and verse 6. And the gates of the river shall be open, and the palace shall be dissolved. We'll give you a taste of that. Which now brings me to the thing I want to spend the time on now. Is the Lord's purpose. The Lord's purpose. Now all of this was leading up. It was telling them that God, He was slow to anger. He's given plenty of opportunities. And He knows who's trusted Him. He's already made a way that you could run to Him and get safety. But if you reject God, His anger, He will not acquit. His anger will come. And there's destruction offered. There is no other hope. Destruction is offered. Your choice is to run to God or be destroyed. The simple choice. Now we come all of that to prep time. To now where we come to the purpose of the Lord. What is he going to do with Nineveh? Well the Lord's patience with Nineveh was at an end. He's going to make an utter destruction. And he's not going to do it a second time. Whenever you see that phrase that he will not do it a second time. Carries the idea he's going to do it so completely. It's once and only once. By the way, that's the way our God does things once and only once. Notice as we pick it up in verse number 9. What do ye imagine against the Lord? 
Will he make an utter end? Affliction shall not rise up the second time. For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble, fully dry. Notice with me in verse 11. There is one come out of thee. Now he's speaking of Nineveh. He says, there's someone that comes out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Now this wicked counselor is mentioned in the Bible, three different accounts of the wicked Rabbashaketh, the political officer who spoke to the Jewish people while they were on the walls of Jerusalem. Notice in verse 12, thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, likewise and likewise many, yet thus they shall be cut down when he shall pass through. Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. Now with this, let's examine what's happening in history. So keep your finger here. We're coming back to Nahum. But let's go together to the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. The book of 2 Kings, actually chapter 19, 18 and 19, we'll hit them together. By the way, we'll kind of repeat this when we get to the King Hezekiah towards the end of the year. But as for now, we now come to the book of 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 19. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of tell you the story. <laughs> In 2 Kings chapter 18, what has happened previously is that the Assyrian Empire came to the northern kingdom of Samaria and they destroyed them in 722 BC. Destroyed them and utterly uh, just wasted the whole place. They kidnapped all of the Hebrew people that lived in the northern kingdom and they transported them all throughout the Assyrian Empire thousands of miles away and then planted them in different places. The way that the Assyrians did things is they would take a group of people a small group of people and take another small group of people, another small group of people and put them together. And now you had people that came from different countries, spoke different languages, had different thoughts. And the purpose was is that there would always be division. They could never work together to overthrow the Assyrians. Then they would take another group of people, another group of people and put them over here. By the way, that's where the Samaritans came later on is that the Assyrians brought in groups of people and mixed them with the leftovers who were left, the poor of the land that were left in, in uh, Israel and they mixed together as what the Jewish people would call half-breeds, the half-Hebrews, half-Gentiles and made the Samaritan people that you would see later on in the New Testament. But as for now, the northern kingdom has been destroyed. Hezekiah has already tried to put a coalition, but that coalition fell together. Co uh, when he f realized it fell together, he sent a messenger to pay off Sennacherib and say, listen, here, take, take the money. Here's a bunch of money. Just leave us alone. And they said, thanks for the money. Let's go destroy this country over here. Then we're coming for you. And they did. And so as they marched down, they surrounded the entire city of Jerusalem, 185,000 Assyrian troops surround the city of Jerusalem. Now you have the political officer, the one that I had mentioned before, and he gets up and says, listen, who is going to help you? 
Remember, Hezekiah got rid of all your other gods. He got rid of the groves. He got rid of the high places. He made it so you can't serve any other god. So your choice is limited. You're stuck. He says, more than that, we want to give you a way of escape. So we're going to bring 200,000 horses. And any man who decides to leave his post, we'll give you a horse and you could ride away. Any takers? Come see me in the middle of the night when no one's looking. We'll be glad. Anyone who wants to flee, we'll let you get out of here safely right now. Otherwise, we're going to destroy you all. He goes up and begins to speak. In the, he, he's been saying this all in the Hebrew's language. And what happens is the officers of the Hebrew army says, Listen, speak to us in the Syrian tongue. We understand you. And he says, Listen, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to these men here who are not getting paid, who are starving, who are all by themselves. I'm speaking to them. He says, By the way, don't let Hezekiah lie to you and say, just trust in the Lord. Because that's not going to work. We've destroyed every other nation up to him. And we destroyed them and their little gods didn't help them at all. And he starts listing this God, this God, this empire, this city. We destroyed them all. What is your little pipsqueak God going to do about it? Well, one thing that was different about those other little g-gods and the god of Hezekiah is that Hezekiah's god was real. And so in chapter 19, Hezekiah comes and he grabs Isaiah and he says, We need to pray. This is a good time to pray. And so they also cheated. They said, God, we know you hear everything. Did you just hear what he said about you? It's no longer about us. Did you hear what he said about you? He said, You can't deliver. You can't do anything. God, you heard what he said. I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm telling. You did the wrong thing. Up to that point, you know, you could have had us. You went ahead and say, God, he can't do anything? All right, fine. <laughs> We're free now. Now, it's one thing for Hezekiah and Isaiah to come up, but they had to go convince all the people that they're going to be all right. So they're trying to say, listen, God's going to hear our prayer. God's going to work. And they pray. By the way, it wasn't a 30-second prayer. They fell on their faces and were begging God, please, God. We, they've already destroyed the northern kingdom. They're going to destroy us. Lord, you promised that you would always keep a people. God, you promised. And they continue just to talk about it. And so then God speaks to Isaiah. Notice what he says in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19. The book of 2 Kings chapter 19. And let's get a good running start. 2 Kings chapter 19. Therefore. I like that word therefore. Uh, because of what you guys prayed. And because of what this goofball had to say about God. Therefore. Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. He shall not come into this city. Now that's a very comforting message. When, especially when he's destroyed every single city in his path right now. He shall not come into the city. He nor shoot an arrow there. Now it's one thing for the king not to step in the city. God says they're not even going to fire an arrow. <laughs> You're going to be safe. Not even going to fire an arrow. Nor shall he come it with a shield nor cast a bank against it. Meaning they're not going to send the trebuchets and the catapults. They're not going to get the battling ram. They're not going to touch the city. 
By the way he came, by the same he shall return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I, God, will defend this city to save it for my own sake. <laughs> they want to call me names and say, I can't defend it? I'm going to do it because my name's good. By the way, I'm also doing it for my servant David's sake because I made him a promise. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred four score and five thousand. Remember, a score is 24 times 20 is 80. A hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose up early, the Hebrew people in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. God says, listen, they're not going to fire a shot. I've got it taken care of. <laughs> and overnight, 185,000 just died. How do you explain that? 185,000? Have you ever tried to kill 180? If you have, don't tell me. Can you imagine what it would be like to kill 185,000 people? What would it take? You understand that? It'd be an instant reaction or some of them would have enough sense to run. 185,000 like that. By the way, that puts a different perspective when Jesus was on the cross and he said, I have 10,000 angels ready to go. One angel did this. What a 10,000 could do in just an instant. Different story, but gives you something to think. So God said, boom, it was over. By the way, the Assyrians were great record keepers. And Sennacherib wrote a lot of records. He would brag about how I destroyed Lachish, which was mentioned in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter number 18 and 19. I destroyed this, and I destroyed this, and I destroyed this. And for Jerusalem, I had Hezekiah pinned up like a, like a bird in its nest. Period. He even, he does, no Assyrian's going to mention I failed. I decided, he just said, you know, I had him trapped up. That was good enough for me. Well, why was that good enough? Because God killed all of his people. So Sennacherib said, you know what? I think that we're good here. We'll take a pause at our military exploits. I think I'll go home. Hold your finger here and let's turn back to Nahum. Now, by the way, Nahum was written 50 years before that happened. And God says, let me tell you what occurs. And as we come back to Nahum chapter number 1, notice as we come back to verse number 14. And the Lord hath given a command, uh, sorry, verse 13 first. For now I will break his yoke from off thee and burst thy bonds in sunder. Now, can you imagine the army is surrounding them? They feel like they're captured. And God says, boop, chains are gone. You're free. Go ahead. God says, I've got this taken care of. Verse number 14, second prophecy. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee that no more of thy name be sown out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image and I will make thy grave for thou art vile. Hold your finger here. Let's see what happens to Mr. Sennacherib. Now Mr. Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrian Empire, had his whole army destroyed. All right, well, good time to go home. 
But the problem was is that he had made God angry. And God did not forget about it. So notice what happens to Mr. Sennacherib in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19. And notice with me in verse number 36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. You would too if you lost all of your army. Verse number 37. And it came to pass as he, Sennacherib, was worshiping in the house of Nishroth, his god, his little g-god, that Ajamelech and Sharezar, his sons, smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia. And Asher, um, Asherhadadun, his son, reigned in his stead. So here's Sennacherib. He just offended God. He just made God upset. God killed 150,000 of his troops. So he says, all right, it's over with. So he goes to his little chapel, his little temple, and as he is praying... His two sons said, you know what? We're tired of dad. And while he's praying, they go kill him. God already had things arranged. His own sons killed him while he was in his little fake temple, serving his little fake God. And by the way, his little God couldn't do anything to save him. And God says, I took care of him too. Now, all of this is leading up to the big event of God destroying Nineveh, which you'll hear on Wednesday. But we're not over with yet. Turn back to the book of Nahum. Now, by the way, if you thought that event was amazing, you should see what God does to finish off the Assyrian Empire. What he finally does to Nineveh itself. But God goes back and he uses this to teach a message to the Hebrew people. The book of Nahum, chapter 1, and notice with me in verse 15. Behold, upon the mountains... The feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. Now this is a phrase that is used later on in the Bible. Turn with me to our final passage, the book of Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans chapter 10. I love history. The book of Romans chapter number 10. And let's see, as Nahum has now referenced this idea that he just mentioned in verse 15, the book of Romans chapter 10. And notice with me, starting at verse number 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all them that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall he call upon uh, in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And of whom have... <clears throat> and how can they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, by the way, what is the story of the book of Nahum? The book of the story of the book of Nahum is that God is a God who is slow of anger. He is a God of patience. And he offers an opportunity. But he will not acquit the wicked. That destruction is 
there. Think about the, the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people are facing utter death and destruction. They cannot stop the Assyrians. They've tried. They've tried in their old power with the coalitions. They've done everything they could. They're standing against a darkness that they cannot defeat. By the way, everyone fights a foe that they cannot defeat. is called death. Nothing you could do to stop it. Nothing you could do to hold it back. Nothing you could do to prevent it to come. It is coming. And it is an enemy that is relentless. How do we avoid such a thing? God says, come unto me. Come unto me. It spoke about that in the book of Nahum. That God knows everyone who trusts in him. That he, just run to him. And he is a sure tower to run into. In the book of Romans, it says it like this. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. By the way, that word saved literally means delivered. God saved us. Now, in the New Testament theological aspect, what are we being saved and delivered from? We're being delivered from the penalty of sin. For the wages of sin is death. For the people in Nahum's time, what are they being delivered from? An unstoppable foe called the Assyrian Empire. And they called upon the name of the Lord and he saved them. He delivered them. And they trusted in him. And God proved him. And we're thankful that God does prove. But we understand that the message of peace must go out. It's one thing to have a message of peace. But if the people don't know about it, how can they have peace? How can they hear the good news? How can they hear that there's deliverance from an unrelenting foe? The Bible says it like this in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him whom they've not believed. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it asks a series of questions. How are they going to call upon the Lord in whom they've not believed? And how are they going to believe unless somebody tells them, unless they hear? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? The word preacher here is the idea of a proclaimer. Someone who's delivering a message. Then how... Are they going to preach unless they be sent? You know, that's a big deal. Does it mean that someone just says, you know what? I'm going to preach. To be honest, someone has to say, go! Go! You go! You tell them. You have to be sent. Go! Go! As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings to good things. You understand? God has given us the responsibility to go and tell people that there's an unrelenting darkness and there's nothing they can do about it. We must tell them the bad news before we can tell them the good news. That there's nothing they can do against the foe. For the wages of sin is death. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. For there's none righteous. No, not one. But then we finish off the verse. <laughs> For the wages of sin is death. But. Oh, that word but. But. 
the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They need to hear that there is an answer. There is an answer to their hopelessness, to the darkness, to the foe that they cannot defeat, to the enemy that they cannot conquer. And that's the Lord. That's Jesus Christ. And the Lord knoweth them that trusteth in Him. You understand? They need to hear. And how are they going to hear unless somebody tell them? And how is somebody going to tell them unless someone like me tries to tell you, you need to go. You need to go encourage someone. And God says, your feet are beautiful. Oh, when you come with great tidings to deliver a message of hope to a hopeless world. You understand the book of Nahum. It's a book of judgment and it's not very good news for those who are being under destruction. But for those who are being delivered from the enemy, this is a great message. Think about those Hebrew people who woke up the next morning and saw 185,000 people dead who were trying to kill them now they're dead do you think there was a little bit of relief from the hebrew people do you think there was a little bit of hope in the darkness you understand we're sorry that they're dead but we're living god delivered us he saved us from our foe that was good news do you think the people who saw that in the wall kept it to themselves No, we're saved. We're saved. We're delivered. God has freed us. He has answered our prayer. Don't you think they went and shouted? You understand there was something worse than the Assyrian Empire. And that is death and hell. And every person is required to go there because of our sins. The only hope to avoid that. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. And people need to hear that message. If you've accepted Jesus as your savior. Isn't that good news? Think about how overwhelming that is. Then why in the world do we have to hold it in ourselves? Do we have to keep it ourselves and say. Oh it is good news but I don't want to bother anybody with it. Don't you think there were some people that were woken up out of their sleep. The next morning, you need to see this. You need to hear what happened. How come we're not excited about something more important than the Assyrians dying? The Bible here is giving us the explanation. God delivers. How beautiful are the feet of them who deliver the message of peace. God delivers knows them that trust in him. We need to go out and deliver the message of hope to a world that is hopeless. It is our responsibility to give them tidings of good peace, glad tidings of good things. The Bible says the gospel of peace. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness 
of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.